Hello and welcome back to FNF Self Tapes. My name is Hunter Harris. I am the host of the show. And today we have Paris, Texas on the uh, on the agenda. And uh, I have a just a quick announcement from the top of the show that I just wanted to uh, make y'all aware of. I'm trying to cut down the runtime on these shows a little bit. Um, and I'm going to kind of do them as more of a matter-of-fact review of how I feel about it rather than kind of I've been trying to treat it as if it's a conversation but I'm just talking to myself and that doesn't really feel uh like it makes any sense so I'm gonna stop doing that and uh hopefully it is more intriguing um or engaging but uh, if not who gives a shit right um (laughs) Paris Texas uh well I'm just gonna jump into it I think I have to sneeze no okay So here we go. <laughs> this sneeze is going to creep up on me right in the middle of me reading. All right. So Paris, Texas was released in 1984. It was produced by Road Movies, Film Production, GmbH, and Argos Films, S.A. Runtime on the movie was 145 minutes. It was written by L.M. Kit Carson, sorry, L.M. Kit Carson and Sam Shepard. Uh, the director was Vim Vendors. The editor was Peter Prisgoda. The music was done by Ryan Cooter. The camera work was done by Robbie Muller. And the stars of the film were Harry Dean Stanton, Nastasia Kinski, Dean Stockwell, Aurore Clement, uh, Hunter Carson, and Bernard Wickey. And the plot is as follows. Travis Henderson is seen wandering through the West Texas desert, bewildered and holding an empty gallon water jug. He wanders into a convenience store, opens a freezer, and starts eating ice before losing consciousness. A German doctor examines Travis and discovers that he is mute. The doctor goes through Travis's wallet and finds his card with a phone number on it. He calls the number, which belongs to Walt Henderson, Travis's brother. Walt makes the journey from Los Angeles to Terlinga, Texas, to pick up Travis, who has, uh, who he had presumed was dead after not hearing him, from him for several years. Walt's wife, Anne, is slightly troubled by this, since she and Walt had adopted Travis's son, Hunter, as Hunter's biological mother. Jane had been out of his life for years. Walt arrives in Terlinga and Terlingua and finds Travis wandering miles down the road from the clinic. The two brothers begin their road trip back to Los Angeles. Walt grows increasingly frustrated with Travis's muteness and confronts him about the disappearance and abandonment of Hunter. At the mention of Hunter, Travis begins to cry but still does not speak. The following day, Travis finally begins to speak and produces a photo of a plot of land explaining to Walt that he had purchased property in Paris, Texas. The brothers arrive in Los Angeles and Travis is reunited with Hunter. Hunter has little recollection of his father and is initially timid around him. Walter shows Hunter old home videos of them and Jane, and after much persistence by Travis, Hunter begins to grow comfortable around his father. Anne tells Travis in confidence that Jane deposits monthly payments into a bank account for Hunter and that the bank is in Houston. Travis becomes immediately determined to find Jane and tells Hunter that he has to leave the following night. Hunter tells Travis that he wants to accompany him, though they don't have the permission of Walt and Anne. Travis and Hunter embark on a road trip to Houston, with the two of them bonding and growing closer. They finally arrive at the bank on the day of the expected deposit and make a plan to locate Jane's car. Hunter spots Jane making a drive-in deposit, and the two follow her car to a peep show club where she works. Travis goes inside while Hunter waits in the car. The peep show is designed so the customers sit on one side of a one-way mirror with a telephone intercom to the performer. 
When Jane enters the room, Travis is unable to speak and soon leaves without saying more than a few words to her. Travis is angry, driving to a bar and drinking while Hunter complains. The following day, Travis drops Hunter off at the Meriden Hotel and goes back to Jane's work. He goes to Jane's room, and this time turning his chair away so, uh, so it faces away from her. Uh, on the phone, he tells her a vague story about a man and a younger woman who met, quickly fell in love with each other, got married, and had a child. Jane is initially confused but realizes that it is Travis on the phone. He tells her that after her, the child was born, the wife suffered from postpartum depression, becoming irritable and yearning for an escape. She would have dreams about running naked down a highway, but just as she was about to finally leave, he would appear to stop her. The now alcoholic husband, fearing his wife's departure, tied a cowbell to her foot so he'd be able to hear her if she left in the night. On one night, the wife, having stuffed socks in the cow wall to muffle the sound, successfully snuck out, though the husband caught her and dragged her back home. He tied her to the stove with his belt and went back to bed. When he woke up, the house was on fire and the wife and child were gone. Uh, Jane turns the light off on her side and finally sees Travis. She expresses pain and regret over missing Hunter's childhood. Travis tells Jane that Hunter is in Houston, waiting for her, and gives her Hunter's room number at the Meriden Hotel. That night, Jane and Hunter are reunited while Travis watches from the parking lot. Travis gets into his car and drives away, smiling to himself. And that was Paris, Texas. Now, the themes that are observed throughout this movie are as follows. I have beauty, beliefs, betrayal, chance, children, effects from the past, facing reality, family, fear, future, growing up, human nature, identity, ignorance, loss of uh, loss of innocence, loss, love, love and sacrifice, man versus nature, man versus man, and man versus self, morality, optimism, regret, reunion, travel, and vices. So that. Um, kind of basically just runs down uh, what we're dealing with here. Um, and now I'm going to get into my thoughts. So, uh, yeah. I thought the lighting throughout this whole movie was very good. I thought that it um, I thought that it did a lot to set the mood in a lot of the scenes. Um, because I do feel as though the dialogue in this movie is... Um, while it has some good points, um, in there, and it has some, some interpretive dialogue that is really good, I don't really see what this movie has to say, if anything at all. Um, I really feel like I spent two and a half hours just kind of, uh, just buoyed to, uh, these people that, um, just have poor mental health, um, <laughs> in a family that's just kind of, like, not really willing to help in the, in the ways that he needs. They don't need, Travis does not need someone to give him credit cards and full reign financially to be able to just go wander and do whatever he wants. He needs somebody to check him. That is why he left in the first place. And that is, like, my biggest problem with this whole movie, um, is the brother and the, uh, the, um, sister-in-law to the main character, Travis, basically they're, they're just rich and either they don't care about money or they are so sympathetic towards Travis that they are just willing to do anything to help him be happy. Um, neither, I think, actually are helping him. 
Um, and maybe that speaks to who they are as characters, and maybe I should be judging them for that. Maybe that was the intention. I have no clue. I can just say that there's not enough dialogue, really, for me to be able to make an educated decision about how I feel um, about these people. I just don't feel like the only two people that really get a true understanding of one another and have a conversation that is substantive enough for you to be able to pull what you need to out of it and able for you to be able to even interpret something from it is um, Travis and Jane. They're the only people that have a conversation. They basically have a 30-minute conversation in this movie. But they're the only two people that have a conversation that kind of gets you somewhere um, emotionally where you're like, Jesus, you guys are horrible <laughs> to each other. Um, <coughs> there it is. Um, the only two people that don't deserve each other are the only two people that ever have like a prolonged conversation about something that actually matters. Um, I think the presence of the Hunter character was more really to um, kind of ground everybody in a uh, kind of keep their focus all on one thing. Um, but I, I, I just, again, I come back to the dialogue just being so, in my opinion, weak. It just doesn't, it doesn't resonate. There's a few conversations that do, but overall I just don't find, uh, I just don't find the lighting to resonate. But to bring it back to the main point that I was making, um, the lighting in this movie is so good. <laughs> That's where I started that, by the way. Uh, the lighting in this movie is so good, uh, that it almost... It almost makes up for the dialogue. Um, this movie gets saved from being uh, in the fives for me, um, as far as rating goes. It, it saves. It gets saved being in the fives from the technical aspects of the film, whether it be sound, lighting, score, um, sound, lighting, score, camera work, direction, framing. It's, it's a really good movie as far as uh, movie making is concerned. Uh, and I think in that uh, attempt, I, I think they may have overlooked some of the uh, storytelling aspects of a film that you kind of need in order to tell a compelling story. Um, I at no point felt compelled to care about this. This just kind of felt... You could make a hundred thousand documentaries <laughs> about this one family is like struggles like I, I i don't even know i don't i even struggle to call travis and jane and hunter a family like they don't deserve to be <laughs> around each other and um if this does anything for me, it just further solidifies that 60-year-old men should not try to fall in love with 18-year-olds. If there's anything I've learned, I would say that it's that. Uh, and what a virtuosic uh, thing to, to come to find out. 
Um, that's that's my thing with this movie is it's trying to teach you something, but everything it's trying to teach you, you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like who the fuck would who the fuck would marry Harry Dean Stanton as a sixty year old? Like sixty year old Harry Dean Stanton as an eighteen year old. That that makes that makes no sense to me. Um, and the desperation is insane. Um, and this is like just a a classic for me at least. This is how I feel. A classic thing of like of men writing scripts. What what would she? What does she? I don't know. Let me let me figure this out. How I want to say this. So like, young, very young, impressionable women sometimes do date, you know, older men. But for what? For money? For status? For some semblance of something that means something? This dude has nothing. They have nothing. She either has such a low self-respect that she would do that to herself, or he is so manipulative that he, you know, effectively was able to to get her to agree to it. Both are extremely sad. Um, and it, I don't really understand how it served the plot really in any way. And I guess I'm just trying to, I say all this stuff to say that I don't, I guess I just don't really understand what the point of this plot is. I really just don't. I don't get what it's teaching me. I don't get, there's there's nothing to be taught. There's nothing to learn. There's nothing to take away from it other than don't end up in a shitty situation, which is like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I fucking, I fucking wish I could notice that something is a shitty situation going into it, but that's why situations end up being shitty. Um, I don't know. I guess I just don't think I really like this movie that much. Um, I will say this is one of the only movies I've ever seen where the, a character shares my name with me. Um, and of course it's an eight-year-old blonde child. And he looked like kind of just like me when I was eight years old. That was really funny too. Um, really easy to get into the mind of that kid. Um, one thing regarding the dialogue that I will praise, however, is uh, like Wes Anderson's films. Um, the, I, I well, I should say, I noted this on the Bottle Rocket episode of Finding New Films because uh, Wes Anderson does this, but. Uh, this screenplay does it as well. Just treating children with respect and giving them lines that have like actual dignity in them and not making the child out to just be the the uh, side character that says dumb things. I hate that really much. Like, I hate that a lot. Um, Marvel Studios does this a lot where it's like, yeah, the children are, are, are dumb though. They don't, they don't understand anything because they're kids. I really hate that about Marvel. Um, and especially considering that one of the greatest superheroes of all time is Spider-Man, and them not being able to feel like they can give respect to um, the children characters, I just don't care for it. 
Uh, but this movie avoids that and uh, and does a really good job of giving Hunter like an actual character that is feels intelligent in some way. Um, they had a South Texas German man in this mo- in this movie. Uh, whether or not that was uh, just circumstance or not, I have no clue. But the doctor that he meets in Terlingua in the uh, very first scene, Travis. Uh, meets in the very first scene he um he was texas german which is a really really uh it's a dying subculture honestly uh so that was really interesting to see that be represented in this movie because i really just was not expecting it Uh, i've already said this but just another shout out to the cinematography it was really really good by robbie muller and then wim winders the director here um he is really good at framing shots. I really, really enjoy how a lot of the shots in this film are framed. Um, and I enjoy the road uh, as a theme through line. Um, yeah, it's just really good. I was going to try to say something else, but I couldn't think of anything. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I write my notes down. I'll like sometimes just note little pieces of the movie that are happening so I can kind of like piece them together chronologically. This note here is just says, Hunter is Travis's son, frowny face. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor little guy, honestly. Um, the story about how Hunter's brother came to be Hunter's caretaker was really sad. Hunter basically just getting left there. Um with no real explanation as to why, and then just gone for four years. Um, and, you know, of course, the the aunt and uncle take it upon themselves to give his child a, a great life. Uh, I don't exactly remember, but I'm pretty sure that it's um, insinuated that Anne uh, cannot have children. The aunt cannot have children. Um, so... This is, like, really her only shot. Uh, And later on in the film, when uh, uh, Travis eventually does take Hunter to go meet Jane again, she's very upset. Anne does not want that to happen because she knows that she can raise Hunter in a safe environment with education, good education, and, you know, everything that he would need. And uh, in, in, uh, everything a child would need, you know. Um, you know, Travis's brother makes billboards for a living, and you saw he was had like a Barbra Streisand billboard. He was taking down, um, I forget the company now, but I'm pretty sure it was a, oh, it was a Los Angeles Raiders billboard. You know, just stuff like that. Um, so it was not like they were not making money, and they lived in the hills too. So, yeah, it, it, which ended up also being a cop-out and something that I didn't like about the movie. But it it really is only there, I think, to show you the scope of the Hunter character more than it is to explain away, uh, you know, some of Travis's shortcomings. But what it ends up doing is both. And I, I don't like the second one. I don't like that... Uh, any challenges that Travis has gone through in life have seemingly been, you know, <laughs> covered up by their 
by his brother and his sister-in-law being able to pay for everything because of the great jobs that they have. I don't care for that a lot. But nevertheless, um, I'm going to move on here. Uh, I have a quote here <laughs> where Travis asks, did you ever go to Paris? And uh, I don't know why I wrote this down. I, I know where this is from. I normally forget what this means, but... Uh, I did find it funny where if he was asking if he had ever been to Paris and his brother thought he was talking about France, but he means Texas. Um, two very, very vastly different places. Um, I have my next note says, ah, there it is, <laughs> the, uh, the family guy thing. Um, they, they do say Paris, Texas about three or four times in this movie, so ah, there it is. Um, somebody in this movie has the name Zucchini. I thought that was funny. I have that written down. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton does a really good job playing a character with a brain injury. See, I thought that. I actually have it written down, <laughs> a character with a Brian injury. Um, I see, I thought he was playing a character with a brain injury well until he got all his memory back. And then I was like, well, that's not real. Um, <laughs> and obviously, because it's a movie, but... Uh, yeah, just another point in the script where the screenwriter and director were kind of just like, ah, it's whatever. Just play it how you want it, buddy. <laughs> I have another note about the lighting being used really well. Um, the scene where Travis is, or the scene where Hunter avoids Travis is really sad. Um, Hunter, Travis just wants to walk home with Hunter, and Hunter doesn't want to do that. So he uh, finds a car that his friend is um, his friend's going home in, and decides to take that instead. So as to avoid his dad, that made me really sad. Um, next note here says uh, it must be traumatic to watch yourself do things and interact with people that you cannot remember. Uh, again, I this would have been great. That would have been a great scene if he's, you know, just sitting there unable to really remember, uh, you know, his relationship with Hunter, his relationship with Jane, his relationship with anyone in his life. If he's sitting there and having the contemplation of, like, Jesus, what is... Like, what does any, any of this even mean if I can forget it, you know, in a snap of a finger? And, um, yeah, coping with all of that must have been really hard. I enjoyed that sentiment, but again, he just starts getting his memory back uh, and recalls, like, his whole relationship with Jane. Um, even though when they're asking him, like, hey, you remember when we, we went up there, like, five years ago and this happened? And he's like, nope. But, like, they showed him one video, and it feels like his, all of his memory just came back. And I don't feel that that's realistic. I just don't. But I'm also not a trauma, brain trauma expert, so if I'm wrong on that, whatever. But it, it does not help to sell a movie to have them just start remembering things. I don't see how that is um, good practice. I don't. But anyways, uh, I thought Anne's, uh, I thought Anne was a little unreasonable to be like, no, you can't take your child. <laughs> uh, you know, 
I get I get that she cares about his safety a lot in this and that and the other. But if you don't have evidence that they abuse the child, you can't you can't just bar them from their parent. In um, the way that she gets really upset with them and uh, is basically like turn around right now and bring my son home is basically what she's insinuating is like fuck off yeah <laughs> like like fuck off it's one thing to think like you would give someone a better childhood it's one thing to think that you would be a better parent uh it is a whole nother thing to be like bring me my kid back when it's not your kid um thought that was an interesting take to say the least from Anne's perspective um in it furthermore i have this note that says it's not fair of Anne to have a hold over hunter's life if hunter wants to go with his parents he should be able to choose that it's not her decision to make even though hunter is just a child and she prior was the one making decisions on his well-being i don't it's not fair for her to have that hold over his life as his aunt um but I'm sure there's someone out there that disagrees with me. That's just how I personally feel. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I enjoy that Hunter has respectable dialogue. We talked about that. Not quite sure why Travis has all of his memory all of a sudden. We talked about that. Um, so these speakeasy rooms that they're talking about in the, uh, in the plot synopsis, or if you've seen this movie, that they have in the movie... Um, it's really weird. They're like literally live action chat rooms. It is the most odd thing that I think I I've ever seen. Like they're little scenes of like it would basically just be like if this was a little room and I was just like, so tell me what's going on, darling, and then you were sitting behind a, a one way glass. That was what it was like, and they were had like intercom, uh, like prison style intercom cell phones. It was so weird. Uh, I did not know that existed. I'm gonna check that out, like even further to <laughs> see if like there's any in my area or something. <laughs> um, no, but I'm having some trouble with my nose here. If you guys can't tell. Um, but yeah, I I want to look into that more because I had no fucking clue that existed. I'm aware of like um like Japanese style uh love hotels um this like like live action private chats I <laughs> like I gotta look into this there's a reason chat rooms exist right and I guess this was the the grandfather of that it's so weird uh I feel as though this movie is more about the range of the emotionality and the moral dilemma of life itself than the actual plot. Um, I think it just goes to show that there's a lot of different emotions um, that you have to navigate throughout life. And uh, you have to navigate those emotions while navigating other people's emotions as well and how they react to the things that you do. And that's about the most profound thing I think you can get out of this movie. Um, 
you know, probably somebody else could, with an art degree, can probably figure something else out more than me that lies under the surface. But for me, that's all I get out of this movie, is that life is kind of crazy. Our emotions are extremely complex, and you can't please really anyone, but you can't really aim to please everyone, um, you know, is the real main point. And um, I got a minute before I got to take a break. I was trying to do this in less than 30 minutes, but it's not going to happen. Um, especially not now because I'm lollygagging. But uh, I, I feel like that was a, the best point that this movie was trying to make. And uh, you can very vaguely grasp onto it, but there is it's not a palpable thing, to be 100% honest. Um, and then the, 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 the conversation between Jane and Travis is so frustrating because it is just a conversation about what both of them probably can't do, and but they're kind of like made for each other. They're both horrible people, and it was really annoying to watch, genuinely. Uh, on a very personal and just honest level, like it, it annoyed the shit out of me. But with that, I don't want to. I don't want to lean into it too hard because it's not worth it. But uh, with that, I'm gonna go into a quick break. I got a few. I have like three notes, and then I'm gonna come back and end the show. So I'll see you then. Alrighty, I'm back. Um, so basically, yeah, I I, I just didn't. <laughs> I was gonna continue on with the uh, spending too much time talking about what they can't do but being perfect for each other they just are they're just perfect for each other they're both perfectly equally shitty and they deserve each other uh and why he feels like i'm gonna ruin her life like what fucking could you do to ruin her life she has nothing going for her that's my biggest thing about this movie they both have absolutely nothing going for them i don't think it would kill that kid to have his dad for the last, like, five years of his dad's life. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton's character is about 60 by this fucking thing, and he's an alcoholic. He's gonna die very soon, and that's not being pessimistic, and that's not being, like, a dickhead by my standards. He just will be dead soon, and that's just what it is. It, it, that's just how that's gonna happen, because the more you continue to lean into these vices the worse it's going to get and it, it it's there's just no happy ending there and especially not for these people my last three notes um i did note that this movie was made for someone named lot h eisner eisner um i did not do any research into them but i have that noted for some reason I have another thing that says love the the lighting and the cinematography and framing. And then my last note is this movie is probably too long. Um, this movie is, like I said, 145 minutes long. It is two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, almost a headache of a final act. And... Uh, I'm ready to put this on the list and get this over with <laughs> and move on to next week. Uh, now, I want to say that I did not give this movie like a crazy low rating, okay? Now, I've been giving it a hard time, sure. I've been not very nice to it. I'll take that. But um, 
I didn't I didn't completely shit on it. It is the worst movie on here on this list so far. Um, it, I gave it a six point four. Um, and I don't feel like that's horrible, but uh, six point four is not a movie I want to rewatch. Uh, so that is that's where I land on it. I think this movie is fine. I think if you can stand sitting through a really slow movie that really just wants to show you humanity um, in its purest and darkest forms, this is a movie for you. Uh, it very much shows the range of human emotions, and uh, it really shows you that um, you're probably better than a lot of people. <laughs> no, but... Uh, I don't know. This movie is. This feels like such a nothing burger of a movie for me, and I. Um, I don't know. I can't believe this movie was was recommended to me on multiple occasions. Um, I don't know. I would never recommend this movie to somebody, just personally. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the way it was made. I enjoyed the the framing and everything. Uh, would definitely made me want to go check out some more Wim Wenders movies, Wim Wenders, sorry, uh, some more of his movies, but, um, other than that, man, I'm good, I'm good on this one. With all that being said, please go check out, um, Finding New Films on Fridays, that is the parent show of this one, and in that show, I basically, uh, have a guest, they come on, and we watch, we both watch a movie that we haven't seen before, and we talk about it. Uh, it's basically like this, but just with a guest. Um, and then every other week or so, we have a podcast called The Basement Tapes, uh, that is co-hosted by myself and, uh, Trevor Dupree, and, um, just talk about stuff that's going on in our lives, stuff that we saw on social media, news that we saw, just a bunch of random stuff. Uh, there's going to be an episode that comes out, uh, could come out tomorrow, uh, when you're seeing this, by the time you're seeing this. Um, so uh, that one would be, we talk about, shoot, what do we talk about? We talk more about some work stuff. <laughs> like some work stories that are really funny from uh from me and then um a few other things i can't remember off the top of my head at this moment but uh go check that out that's called the basement tapes um by the q crew productions and then also by the q crew productions we have uh greg and jeff give the hi-hat which premieres youtube sorry <laughs> premieres sundays at midnight on youtube and then uh will come out everywhere else on streaming right after uh so if that's something that you're interested in go check that out um they also talk about a various uh smattering of uh, topics this past week they did talk about coaching scandals uh, in NCAA they talked about uh, current NIL deals in um, college sports as well and then they talked about their thoughts on the MLB season so far so um, we've got you pretty much covered on content we may still have a sports podcast coming down the pipeline uh, I may have been a little premature with announcing that one, but it may still be coming down the pipeline. We will keep you updated. So, 
just stay tuned. We're working on stuff. Uh, next week on this show, FNF Self Tapes, we're going to be watching Love and Basketball um, by, I don't know the director's name off the top of my head, so I look like a dummy. Uh, her name is... Gina Prince-Bythewood. So, Love and Basketball, written and directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, will be next Monday. Um, This is going to come out on Wednesday, so I do apologize. I am late. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to get ahead with the Love and Basketball episode. I'm actually going to watch that probably tonight and record that tonight. So, uh... Follow us on Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube channel, rate this podcast, rate all of our podcasts, follow all of our podcasts, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like this video, comment, if anything, if you want to. Um, we love to hear your, your opinions as well. And that is it. Thank you very much for watching this episode of FNF Self Tapes. I hope you guys have a great day, and I love you. Mwah.